Hey, what's up, guys? This is Grant Schwartz with the Conscious Athletics Podcast here for another episode. If you guys are looking for more information on what we're doing here, please take a second to visit us at ConsciousAthletics.net and or Conscious Athletics on Instagram. This episode is brought to you by Be Cool, Be Smart, Be Alive, teaching our youth their rights and how to de-escalate. For more information, please visit BeCooler.org. What's up, guys and girls? Here for another edition of Conscious Athletics. If you're still here, then you're—I I don't know what you're doing. I'm obviously saying something that you guys are following around to. So, um, thank you for that. Uh, but today we have honestly one of the most special guests I think we could have, um, Tyson Gentry. Tyson was a former teammate of mine at Ohio State. Um, and when it comes to the topic of conversation that we're having here about transitioning to life after sports, I don't think anybody has as unique as a perspective as Tyson does. Um, we're going to talk about his story as we go through here, but um, Tyson uh, was a walk-on at Ohio State a few years before I had got there, um, but, you know, that didn't matter. Everybody knew who Tyson was um, during his time there at Ohio State. He was a, a, a punter and a, and a receiver, but you, I think you had moved to just receiver, correct? Yeah, actually, the, uh, the quarter I got injured was spring. It was uh, literally the start of spring ball, and uh, that quarter – they asked me to move full-time to receiver. That's right. And so were you a, were you a receiver in high school? What was, what was your deal coming up? Yeah, actually, that was my primary position in high school. And what's funny is uh, that's, you know, the, the position that I loved. But um, the way that I was able to get my foot in the door at Ohio State was as a punter, uh, which obviously I did in high school as well. But, um, you know, we ran the wing tee in high school, so I wasn't exactly putting up numbers that Ohio State is going to recognize. Um, right. but I was on their recruiting radar as a punter. So I was offered a preferred walk-on spot with that position. And you were competing directly with AJ Chapasso, who, if anybody knows AJ Chapasso is a wild man. So he had to be a little bit crazy just to even be in the same room as that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the specialist had uh, some good laughs at, at his, I don't want to say his expense, but, uh, he delivered right. some, uh, some good comic relief with, uh, his antics. Oh, you guys were the best, man. I was always so jealous of, of the specialist and, and, the, and the little camaraderie that, that everybody had over there. And we would all come out for practice and, and do the special teams. And obviously they're very involved in that. And then, you know, five minutes later, you, you look over to the auxiliary field and they're over there playing some sort of, of, of game, right? That's, that's helping their skills, but um, just having a great time while we're all getting yelled at and sweating and getting hit by large people. And <laughs> what's really funny about that i'm actually working on a speech right now and i literally today i was uh going over whether or not i should include trash can ball because it had an official name we would play okay. trash can ball over on the That's auxiliary right. field and uh we'd set up two trash cans about 25 yards away and uh yeah we had rules it was basically like cornhole horseshoes mixed in with football and trash cans um and you had different scoring uh system but Honestly, to, to be totally honest, I, I was actually very happy to jump in and start doing scout team receiver because literally there's only so much you can do to practice punting the football for right. how long were we out there? Close to two hours. Um, and my body would be more sore by the end of practice just being a punter because then you get all warmed up. And then the last 
20 periods, you'd pretty much just go and do whatever. But when I was doing receiver, I was staying, you know, involved the whole time and I would stay loose and my body like wouldn't ache as much by the end of practice because right. of that. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was actually nice uh, to get to do scout team receiver. <laughs> that makes sense because you're doing as a punter, you're doing the same repetitive motion. So I can imagine that that right or left hip, whatever you're kicking with, is probably feeling pretty out of whack. It's like, uh, yeah. isn't it? Isn't there a thing? Is that a kicker or who is that? It might be even a pitcher, but you see, like one leg is always bigger than the other, and that 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 can't be normal. <laughs> yeah, you know, either way, but uh, no, I mean, specialist as uh, can I use the word vital? As vital as uh, you know, oh, kickers yes. and punters are to the game, man, they get a bad rap. Like they're low men on the totem pole. But and again, literally, I'm I'm writing this speech and punters, especially walk-on punters, it does not get any lower on the totem pole than a walk-on <laughs> punter because at least kickers score points and help the team, right? Like our job is to give the ball back to the other team. So on principle alone, you pretty much have to hate punters. But uh, you know, <laughs> I always love punters. I thought the punter, I think the punter and the long snapper are the two best positions in, in, in the sport for sure. But yes, you are you are correct. There is definitely a hierarchy and uh, punters are are generally down the lower part. And then when you when you put the when you put the the walk-on tag on that, which you know is is hilarious to me because I always tell people when we have conversations about this, like I there's not there wasn't one scholarship player during our time at Ohio State that I had more respect for than any of our walk-ons that that actually stuck it through. And I'm not talking about the guys who showed up there for spring and did the spring ball thing and then we're done. I'm talking about the guys like yourself, like the Ben Cassandis and the and the Kyra Rolls and Brett Ulrich, the the guys who showed up from the beginning and stayed all the way through without any of the without any of the accolades, without any of the the adulation that anybody else is receiving. And and the thing about it is you guys are doing everything that everybody else is doing. You're working just as hard as everybody else is working, but you're not getting any of that, any of that, uh, that love. I mean, to the point to where I think it's a little bit different now, but I always thought it was so crazy about like how with like the food thing, like they would like, oh yeah, you guys get fed on Monday, but, but not Tuesday. And it's like, <laughs> what? Like these people out here given everything they're, they got, they're the only reason we're able to actually feel the practice. And yet, you know, that's the type of treatment that you receive. So the type of personality and perseverance that it takes for a walk-on guy to, to stick it all the way through is, is something I always had the utmost respect for. Yeah. I mean, literally it's, it's kind of eerie how much you're, I, I feel like you had a copy of my speech and you've been looking it over before we started talking because yeah, I touched on that. Like the fact that we're out there just purely on for the love of the game, love of the school. I mean, it was my dream to, to get to play football for Ohio state. So um, you know, I, for as long as I can remember, like, I just, I've always kind of been a silver lining kind of guy. Like it was all worth it to put up with, uh, the, the hard work that we put in and, and a little bit of respect and gratitude that we would get for what we did, uh, just based on the love of the game. Um, yeah, man. I mean, there's so many good memories, but, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to, to receive a few more meals. Actually, even, uh, um, probably a lot of guys didn't know this. I had two part-time jobs, uh, while before my injury, but, uh, Jeez. while playing football and going to school, I had a part-time job for the Schottenstein center. I was an usher. Okay. And then, um, my sophomore year, I got a job at target to just make more money and, you know, be able to make ends meet. 
I mean, to put into perspective for some of the people that don't understand what it what it means to be at a program like Ohio State and, and the type of and the type of uh, commitment that takes. Not only are you a student, obviously, right? So you know you're going to class, you're doing all that, but the, the literally the moment that that class is over, you're on your way to the facilities. Um, and it's not like you're going over there to, to hang out and get stretched out. You're going over there to work and work at a very you know high level. So you're absolutely blasted after that. Like all you want to do, all you can think about is going and sitting down and 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 then having to go you know work work a job at Target or or, or stand in. I mean, the shot scene's not as bad, I guess. Maybe you're getting to see some games and things of that nature, but that's why I did it. Yeah, <laughs> that's just brutal, man. It's just the the. I mean now granted we were in our uh, you know late teens early 20s so we had a lot more energy but there's no way I could do something like that now yeah but again I guess it's like anything you do what you got to do you get to work keep your head down and um yeah I mean I don't know I don't know what to say just do what you got to do <laughs> that's that's right that's right so um so yeah you switched so you were punter so you switched to receiver so how you you said you had just switched to receiver the, the spring of the spring of your injury yeah and uh it's interesting how it even came about that i got to be a receiver because you remember trust uh that the punt was the most important playing football that's right. right and uh because of that he would always have the punters jump in with the receivers and run routes because he wanted us to have the best hands on the team so like what other way than eye hand coordination like start running routes and catch balls um, and that's when coaches kind of noticed that I didn't act for the position and uh, they asked me to start doing scout team and then by my sophomore year or after we played Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl um, going into uh, spring fall was when they kind of realized like look AJ's obviously got the starting job on lockdown he's on scholarship uh, right. there's no point in having two guys that are the same age at Hunter. Um, and John Toma was, I think, in your class, right? Uh, John was the uh, class before me. Yep. Oh, okay. I didn't, uh, I guess I thought that you were in his class, but uh, yeah, so they were like, well, Toma's obviously probably going to be getting the, the job once AJ's done. So let's have him be second team. He can kind of uh, do that spot, which I was definitely disappointed. I was hoping to, you know, ride second team, get to travel to away games, whatever, and kind of live right, high on the sure. hog without, you know, obviously I want to see the playing field, but I'll take second team. Um, right. So anyway, you know, it is what it is. And uh, they were like, hey, we're not going to have you do punt anymore. Uh, just focus on receiver. That's when I um, was full-time in the receiver room, diving into the playbook, because uh, at that point I was just doing scout team, running the other team's plays for whoever our weekly opponent was, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so that's, so yeah. Okay. So that was, that would have been, so going into the 06 season. Um, so you're, so you're playing receiver and then, you know, so obviously, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't start the, 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 the podcast with this, but Tyson was injured that spring um, and resulting in, in uh, paralysis. Um, I think it was it from the neck down at that point. Yeah. I mean, on the field, I, it was like my body disappeared. I couldn't feel or move anything below my neck. So talk so, us through talk us through that that whole situation and and so that the people who don't know can have some perspective on on what that conversation is. Right. So uh, we basically had an inter squad scrimmage. Uh, it was uh, April fourteenth of two thousand six. We so we're only a few weeks into spring ball and um, second series on offense. Um, 
I got the play lined up, Kurt lined up against me and he was just a, a true freshman. Like he just reported, he graduated high school early. I hadn't even met him officially yet. Um, wow. Like I never had a conversation with him uh, before this play, like, you know, even for a while after the play. Um, and I ran a dig route and uh, he was kind of right on my hip. I caught the ball. And as I went to tuck it, he dragged me down to the ground. And just the way I hit, it was just kind of an awkward way that I landed. It wasn't a big hit or anything. And right. like instantly just body vanished. And uh, all I could do was lay there. So um, I fumbled the ball, obviously. The defense kind of picked it up and ran their way. Um, and it didn't take long really for Kurt and a couple other people who were right by me to notice that I wasn't. I think the way I was laying was pretty awkward um, right. and they immediately wait for the trainers to come on and uh, they go through the whole, like, can you feel this? Can you move anything? Can you squeeze my hand? Um, and again, they didn't take them more than a few seconds to realize like this was a lot more serious than like, Hey, you know, walk it off. You'll be fine. Um, go to the hospital. They x-ray me, see that I broke my fourth uh, cervical vertebrae vertebra um and then i was taken directly into emergency surgery to basically relieve the pressure on my spinal cord caused by my broken neck and uh yeah from there it was icu for a week um a few days into icu i went i underwent a second procedure where they fused my c3 to c5 uh, basically to support that broken fourth vertebra um with titanium screws and, and rods and all that. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of played out from there with going into inpatient therapy, uh, occupational uh, physical therapy. And uh, yeah, so that's I mean, kind of the gist. Yeah, I, I got yeah, Phil's just, just recounting that, you know, I, I, we were speaking about it before. I, I didn't know if you know that at the time, but I was actually out there for, because um, I had committed to Ohio State, but being from California, I hadn't had much time to, to be out there. So I came out there for spring practices. And I, and I remember I was sitting somewhere in a deck, probably around the 50 yard line. Um, and that play happened. And like, you know, that, you know, that stadium is so cavernous when there's nobody in there. And so that the energies are already a little odd when you're having a practice in there and there's nobody there. And then just that instant, like you, it was, it was just, it was so eerie because you could almost immediately tell that something wasn't right. And, and, and of course it, it wasn't. Um, and, you know, it was just such a, it was such a scary time, obviously for, obviously for you and your family, but for anybody who was a part of the team and anybody who's ever played sports, because I mean, that's like, that's the greatest fear, right? Like we all, Nowadays, people talk about like, oh, head injuries and all that kind of stuff. And obviously that's a great fear to have, but we didn't really think about that back then. It was, it was our knees and it was our neck. And like, so to see that happen and, and to have a teammate experience that was just like, whoa, this is really, really close to home. And, you know, obviously you're having those surgeries, but we didn't know what that was going to, you know, result in um, those, those first couple of weeks. So just kind of waiting to hear, you know, you know, how that came out and then, um, I, I remember I was talking to Kurt about it and, you know, he said it took him a little bit to, to actually get up the courage to go see you in, in, in the hospital and, and have that conversation with you, um, you know, understandably so. But I, one of the things that he communicated uh, to me was just like, you're immediate, like, hey, man, this, it, it was just, it was a play. It happened. It, it, it wasn't on you because for you to have that perspective in that instance, 
because um, every every right in the world would say, you know, it's it's time for you to worry about yourself, but she, for you to be able to think about Kurt and, and what he could be potentially going through, because that's a that's that's the definition of a, of a, excuse my language of a mind fuck. So I mean, to me, that was like the paramount thing about you, man. Is like it's just almost immediately like your your ability to, to to have a little bit of perspective on on the situation, but you know, if, if you're, if you're up to it, you know, kind of talk through what your mindset was there in those first couple of days. And then, you know, as, as we move forward. Yeah. So, I mean, leading up to me meeting Kurt for the first time in the hospital, it was, uh, after I got out of the ICU, ICU was just hell. Um, like my whole nervous system was going haywire. Um, obviously, you know, it's like a, an electrical cord that, that gets damaged. So, you know, imagine sparks and things like literally like hypersensitivity is an understatement. Um, I, it was almost like my body would explode. Like I was getting struck by lightning is what it felt like the best way I could describe it. Um, any talking above a whisper, uh, was excruciating anything unexpected. Like there were times that I, like if my, say my, you know, mom or dad was standing to my left and I closed my eyes, like to just rest. And then a few seconds later, if I opened my eyes and they had moved positions for whatever reason, like just that, like unexpected, like they're not there anymore. Like my right. body would just explode. Um, wow. So just really bizarre from that standpoint. Then just the paralysis side of it, like literally the worst imaginable claustrophobia to not be able to feel or move anything below your neck. It was like being buried up to your chin in concrete. But like, but even worse because you can't like move anything to try and fight to escape. Right. right. So, um, you know, if you're in a bed, you're used to being able to change positions and lay on your side and get comfortable, but literally all you could do is lay there because, you know, you've got a C collar neck brace on to prevent you from looking around. And so like literally, uh, <laughs> thank God for anti-anxiety drugs because you know, I think I just probably would have lost my mind and gone crazy, like not being able to, to move, but, you know, literally relying on somebody to do something as simple as scratch your face. Um, like that was just very difficult. So thankfully, um, you know, at the end of that first week, things kind of started to settle down a little bit. I started to get a little bit of sensation back in my arms and a little bit in my legs and my biceps were starting to fire a little bit at that point. But you know, very minimal. Um, I go to, or I get transferred to a step-down unit and that's where I met Kurt. And, uh, you know, obviously everything leading up to that point, everything that I was going through, um, I really don't know that I had time to necessarily think of what Kurt was going through. Um, I know that right. I do kind of remember, you know, him or, hearing that like he was really struggling with the whole uh aspect of him feeling guilty that he technically did this to me but i really i don't know i think i understood on some level that like football is a violent sport i know what i signed up for and i think it would have been a whole different scenario if it had been a, a dirty play or a, a you know a blindside tackle or something but right. I mean, he literally didn't do anything wrong. So I think from that standpoint, I'm extremely thankful that I don't have any bitterness over everything surrounding my injury. 
you know, like it's one thing if you're driving a car uh, because a lot of spinal cord injuries happen from auto accidents and right. some drunk driver blindsides you, like you weren't doing anything wrong. You were following all the, the rules of the road and some idiot blindsides you because they're drinking and driving. I would be very bitter and resentful over, I feel like. So I'm very blessed from the standpoint of like, there is no bitterness, you know, surrounding my injury. And so for me to see Kurt and how torn up he was about it, gosh, the least thing I could do is to try and put his mind at ease of being like, look, you didn't do anything wrong. And, uh, you know, you're still my brother. And yeah, like that, that bond obviously was formed pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, Oh man, it's, it's, it's just crazy to think. I mean, what, how long are we talking now? That was almost, we're, we're coming up on almost a 20 year reunion of this, of this, right? No, we just passed the uh, 17 year reunion. That was, or not reunion, the anniversary of uh, Rivers. Yeah, April 14th. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, obviously in the context of this conversation with what we're talking about here and, and transitioning to life after sports, um, you know, this situation is, is head and shoulders above, above anything that we could talk about, but like just to, to that, that, your mind, right? So like you're in the ICU at that point, you're only focusing on like, I just need to find level ground here and, and get myself to a baseline. But, you know, once you, once you kind of come out of that, it's like, okay, I'm, we can at least have some, some goals to work towards, but it's like that realization of like everything that you've been working for since you were a little kid, you're at Ohio state, you're, you're living out a dream. And then literally within a, an instance of breath that, that, that has changed. Like, where was your mind at for that, those first times? Because, you know, I've, I, I said it to start and I'll say it again. Like I just, the, the way that you've carried yourself has just been so exemplary and it's, it's, it really is an inspiration. So I'm just curious as to, you know, what you're, what you were thinking about. Cause I know on the in, internal, you're having the battles, right? You know, what, what you're presenting out is like, okay, let me, let me put this out here, but in, inside you're probably freaking the fuck out. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, there, it was all over the board from that standpoint, like first and foremost, I think my faith is really what, um, carried me through like the darkest times. Like there was one point where I literally gave up in the ICU. Um, I s explained how hypersensitive I was. Um, at that time, like right outside my window in the ICU, there was a uh, construction going on. One of the buildings was under construction and one night um, or evening, there was like this incessant like pounding, like a, a pile driver slamming down onto a steel beam. And it right. sounded like it was right outside my window and it just would not stop. And it's not like you can pick up the phone and be like, hey, cut it out, you know? And I just remember every time that thing slammed down, like my body was just exploding. And uh, like, I was, that was it. That was my breaking point. And I just remember praying to just die. Like I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, the next morning, you know, I, I came to, I think I'm sure the nurse gave me something to knock me out. And uh, the next morning I came to and, there's a lot more to this story that, um, you know, if you do want me to, to tell the story, I'm more than happy to. Um, Whatever you're comfortable and, with you now. Know, no, no, no. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a, a matter of discomfort. So it's just, again, it really comes down to faith for me. Like there's so many things that looking back that God literally like lined up and has shown me that there's no way that I can deny that that this is all meant to be. So um, right. my injury happened on, it was actually Good Friday that my injury happened. Um, and that always stuck out in my mind and I'll circle back around to that later. But 
the next morning uh, when I came to after this night, um, my parents obviously were right there, came over. And again, just having them by my side was just so crucial to my overall well-being mentally right. and everything. Um, and so we talked for a little bit and uh, they explained to me that I had a new nurse who was filling in from another OSU hospital. And she had brought a note that somebody had written to me um, and, you know, thought that I might like to read it. And uh, the note said, never give up. No matter how much adversity you face, you can always overcome. A lot of people believe in you. And uh, it wasn't anything profound, um, but the words literally just like resonated with me and hit me in a way that just made me understand that like, you know, just trust God. And if you can get through this, the only way to go from, from here is up. And, you know, that's kind of when I was like, all right, like, let's just kind of do this. There's no escaping my reality right now. So the best thing to do is just make the best of it. And uh, that's kind of when things started to improve. So moving back in time for a second, uh, in July of 05, so this is going into my sophomore year. Uh, we're in summer training camp. And as you know, like Coach Trust would always bring in guest speakers, right? Yep. Um, this is, you know, the end of the day, like we're at the Fawcett Center. We already had dinner. We're doing our last team meeting of the day before going back to the hotel. And uh, the speaker that Coach Trust brought in that week, her name was Rosemary Rossetti. And, uh, you know, we're all tired, like wanting to go back and chill at the hotel and just relax. Um, but she's introduced and we all kind of turn our attention at the stage. And she proceeds to share her story of like this thing that happened to her and um, the uh, hard work and, and determination that it took for her to overcome what happens to her, what happened to her. And at the end of her talk, uh, she handed out a piece of paper to everybody in the audience and said, you know, do me a favor and uh, write some inspirational messages to these patients at the hospital where I did rehab. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hang them on the wall, whatever, and that way they can uh, read them and just kind of be motivated by them. So, you know, like, obviously after hearing her story, like we were all incredibly impressed with the uh, resilience that it took for her to overcome uh, this thing that happened to her. And uh, so I'm like, you know, what do you write to somebody going through something like this? So after a few minutes, I like write something down that, you know, maybe I'd like to hear if I were going through the same thing. Hand in my paper, go back to the hotel, don't think about it after that. Fast forward, I think it was nine months later after my injury, I'm in the ICU and my nurse that uh, was filling in was a float nurse. She yeah. was a nurse at Dodd Hall, which is Ohio State's spinal cord and brain injury unit. And okay. she saw my note hanging on the wall at Dodd Hall and brought it to me. And that was the note that said, never give up, no matter how much adversity you face. That was my no. note that she brought to me. Oh, Rose, yeah, <laughs> Rose Marie's Rose Marie's injury was a spinal cord injury. A tree fell on her when she was riding her bike through the woods. And uh, she wanted all of us to write notes to the patients at Dodd Hall. And, uh, you know, this is note that I thought that I was just writing to a stranger. And you can probably see it over my shoulder. 
the note, yep. the blue note is over yep. there. That's my note. Oh my God, dude. That is, that is, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it, uh, that, that one got, that's, that's an, that's incredible, man. Uh, and, and so like, you probably read it the first time and then you're like, wait a second. Did you realize right away that that was the letter that you had written? So, you know, I'm laying in the bed, my dad's holding this note over my face. And I think, yeah, like right away, I could see, I recognize my handwriting. I could right. see my signature and everything at the bottom. Like it's signed me with my jersey number. And uh, I think I wrote Hunter slash receiver at the bottom of it, whatever. Yeah. And uh, um, so, yeah, it's like I recognized it right away. And it's like, holy shit, like this, there's no way that this is not God telling me like, you know, but it basically just boils down to, you know, A, don't give advice to somebody else that you're not willing to take yourself. So it's right. like, if I'm going to sit here and tell somebody not to give up, how can I give up? And literally, right. like, this is the morning after I gave up. Like, I was ready to just call it quits. And uh, so, I mean, just, I know that not everybody's going to have, like, a God moment like this that is going to say, like, you know, you can't give up. Like, you just got to keep your head and your faith there so that you can get through this. Um, this is a pretty profound example, but um, like you literally just have to search for those silver linings and God will eventually reveal little clues of the ways that, that he can make good come from a bad situation. And that's what I've tried to keep my focus on ever since. I mean, I think you, I think you've done a pretty good job. I mean, you know, I was talking to Tyson before the thing, I think he was in the gym more than anybody else on the team. Every single time I walked into the, into the facilities there in the Woody, it was either him and his sister or him and his dad. Um, again, I always remember you on, on the cable machine, but that always stuck with me. It's just like, yeah, you have those moments of inspiration, but the fact that you were able to like turn that into a mindset in a way that you were going to live your life was always just was so impressive to me. And um, so, you know, you you get through those those first days where it's like okay like I'm I'm gonna be okay I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to to live life what what was it like like kind of getting back into you know as much of a normal routine as you possibly could after that point? Yeah, so I mean you touched on it before like it just boils down to perspective, and again like that silver lining of like how do you keep your your mind on the positive side of things and uh, you know you said it. And it really is true, like your mindset, like it's your mind. Um, the thing that really helped me take another step uh, as far as keeping my focus on the positive side of things was when I was doing my inpatient therapy uh, because Dodd Hall was for spinal cord injuries and brain injuries, traumatic brain injuries. And um, and I'll never forget this kid that ended up moving in the room across the hall from me. His name was Andrew. And uh, he had a, a traumatic brain injury from, uh, an, uh, he was skiing and I don't, I, he must've gone somewhere out West, obviously with his youth group. And he lost control and hit a tree and didn't have a helmet on. And so he literally, like, I just remember like him just laying in his, sitting in his wheelchair just with this vacant expression on his face and all he can do is just sit there and moan. And man, it, it, it kills yeah. me. Yeah. Literally kills me to think about like his family just sitting there 
watching him suffer. And uh, so, yeah, like it, it really just hammered home to me that like I still have a lot to be thankful for that I can talk with my family and hug them and laugh and just, you know, have all that. So it really just uh, made me realize that there's a lot that I have to be thankful for that even though my situation sucks, that, uh, you know, make the best of it. So yeah, like that's, that's been my mindset ever since. And uh, I, I hope Andrew is out there and still doing okay. But man, I just, you know, there's, there's always going to be a shitty side of thing to life. But uh, there's also going to be the silver lining that you have to just hold on to and, and, and focus and grow from there. I mean, I see, couldn't say it better than that, my man. And it's like, you know, with, with your experience, like the fact that you're able to have the mobility that you do have now and the movement of your hands and arms and stuff like that, that just doesn't come back. Like that was because you were putting in consistent work every single day. Right. And that's the other thing, like to go from relying on somebody to just scratch my face um, to then getting enough arm strength back to feed myself. Like, you know, somebody had to feed me my first, probably, it took me at least a month, maybe a little more, a month and a half to get enough strength to where I could take my arm. Like if I was in my wheelchair, if my arm was on my lap, I didn't have enough strength to take it from my lap and put it on my armrest. So like right. I've got shoulder, my shoulders are probably about 30 or 40% strength of what I used to have before my injury. And my biceps are probably at about 15 to 20% strength of what it was before. Um, I mean, you were, you were curling 80s before, so now you're just doing like 30s. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yeah, you know, something like that. So like for me to lift my arms up, I don't know, like does will your podcast have video for people or is it just audio? Uh, I'll have, there'll be a video component, yeah. Okay, so for me to lift my arms, my right arm is stronger. Like I can lift my arm up and, right. you know, kind of hold it there for a little while. But my left arm is definitely a lot less strong. Um, and so I just I don't have any wrist, forearm, finger, whatever. So it's just bicep. Um, so right. for me to kind of like even just wrist function, like there, there are quadriplegics out there who have wrist function so that they can like flex their wrist back and they right. can pick stuff up fairly easily. I mean, not everything, depending on the, the, the strength that they've got. But man, right. I mean, just the difference it makes, the difference of independence that, that I've seen quads that just have wrist function who can cat themselves because you still have to use catheters to go to the bathroom because bowel and bladder controls out the window. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just to get biceps back so I can feed myself and drive my chair with my arm instead of my mouth. Um, right. Like Eric Legrand, you've seen videos of him yeah. where he's driving his chair with his, his mouth joystick. Um, and he's, he's on a ventilator. No, no, no. He got off his vent. He's yeah. not on a vent. Um, so it's, I mean, it literally, you learn to appreciate the little things when you know what it looks like to have to rely on somebody to, to do all those things for you. And then to suddenly get that back. So yeah, man, I'm thankful every day for my biceps. Um, just the, the difference it makes in quality of life and independence is astounding. Yeah. I can, I, I can just imagine that's 
but like I said, you work for that. Like I always, always one of the hardest workers, always in the gym. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's right. Six, right. yeah, six a.m.s and two a days are a breeze compared to PT and OT after this yeah. foot injury. God, not even close, man. That's, that's it, 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 you're right, and it's all about perspective because you know, for us during those times, we're sitting there in those two a days or six a.m.s or whatever it is, like you were mentioning, we're just like, man, this is just the worst possible thing. But then you look over and you see someone like yourself, and you're like, well, yeah, maybe I need to get my ass back down down there and, and hit some more work. So, um, but yeah, so like you were, I, I know you were. Did you ended up? You ended up uh graduating in like oh nine was it yeah and so you were i know you were obviously you were you were part of the program i think did you stay you stayed for a year or two even after the graduation though correct um so i'm trying to think i my senior season was the 08 season because uh that was five years for me um and then i graduated that following spring so yeah it took me five years to graduate which I guess isn't all bad considering, uh, you know, a lot of guys take five years to, to do it. So uh, thankfully, I mean, honestly, it worked out pretty well. Like my injuries in the spring, um, I, I dropped all my classes. I actually ended up finishing one of the classes in the hospital when I was doing my inpatient rehab. And it was, I mean, it was very watered down. Obviously, it's not like I had to do quite as much. I had one of the TAs come into my hospital room and go over all the, the stuff and then I would take you know basically a quiz at the end of each chapter so I, I did that so I could declare for I was actually in the process of switching majors when I broke okay. my neck so I did that so I could officially declare and then uh, you know clearly took the summer off and then started back up in the fall so thankfully I really didn't lose any time as far as graduation went that's good would you would you end up uh, switching to his majors uh, speech and hearing science I was uh I started as a psych major, and then I found out in order to basically practice what you want to do as a psychologist, you you needed to get your PhD. And I was like, I never <laughs> planned on this being a, yeah. a doctor, a PhD. So I was like, all right, what what's probably a better uh, field? And uh, speech pathology, like there's very few males in the field. And um, it just was something that really interested me. And uh, yeah, I switched to speech and hearing science and it was, I loved everything I learned. In fact, I still use a lot of it with um, my kids sure. with learning, teaching them phonetically how to, how to talk. And even after my injury, I had a speech pathologist with, because when my first surgery, they went into the front to repair my, my broken bone with a piece of cadaver bone. So they took my whole esophagus and airway and moved it off to the side. And I actually had to like work with a speech pathologist on swallowing because like any kind of mechanism with the mouth uh you um yeah you need to figure that out so i i'd have food that would get caught like you know when i would swallow uh, when i would eat also my speech that helped me with making sure that everything was like intact and, and good from that standpoint so really again just kind of need how all that's incorporated with my injury and using my degree from there but uh yeah 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 no it's funny it's because i actually was interested in psychology as well and had the same had the same moment of realization but you were again a more tactical person than me because i just went to communications like every other athlete but i will say that it has come in it has come in handy for me as a, as a salesperson and, you know back in the day that's the joke is that all athletes go to communications because it's the easiest but uh <laughs> we had similar experiences 
Yeah. Yeah, man. I feel like if I would have done anything, if I could do it differently, probably either something business related uh, or even communications. Like, I, I think that's interesting just to be able to know how to work with other people and kind of pick up on the type of personality they are. And, and yeah, man, make that a uh, sales pitch and, and get them to, to buy something they don't realize that they need yet. <laughs> they never realize it's until you get to talk to them and inform them with your unbelievable understanding of the product features. And it just blows their mind every time. It's, it's, it's really kind of easy. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's an art no, form. I, I, you know, you're right though. I, I have, I have got a lot of use out of it. I knew pretty, pretty early on that I wasn't going to be a mathematician. I certainly can do, you know, anything business related because of that. And, uh, like you, there was no way I was getting a, a master's degree in anything. So I was like, okay, let's let's find ourselves something a little bit simpler here. <laughs> no, master's, I, you know, I could get behind a master's. In fact, uh, with SpeechPath, um, I did a year of, of grad school at Ohio State for, for getting my certification for being a speech pathologist. Um, it's, it was a two-year degree for master's, obviously. And uh, I ended up I ended up dropping out of it because uh, like once we got to clinicals, it just wasn't what I really expected. I pretty much needed to rely on uh, an aide to be in there with me to run the speech session because of my lack of dexterity to administer the test and, you know, all that. So um, it was just frustrating. I, I wish I, I could have done it because, again, I loved everything about speech path, um, but it just didn't work out. And I ended up going back to school and getting my master's in rehab counseling and so that's been um yeah a very useful thing for uh running foundation that we do and um you know obviously with what i do just talking to others and speaking with others about overcoming adversity and that sort of thing definitely and i I want to touch a little bit more on that um as we go here so you graduate you you, you're done with ohio state which is to me is kind of probably a pretty interesting time because, you know, when you have your injury and you're at Ohio state, like it's still like you are, you were still very much a part of the team as any, as much as anybody else was there. You know what I mean? Um, you were participating in everything that we were doing. And so when, when that ended, that kind of had to be a weird like moment in time where it's like, all right, like that, like that happened and, and now it's over and now I'm going to, to something else. So what was that like going to the, you know, the next chapter of life? So honestly, how it played out was, again, kind of a, another God moment with um, I finished up my first year of grad school. Um, my my uh, review after clinicals did not go well. Like I had two clients, um, I had two different supervisors, one for each client. And my one supervisor just actually ended up failing me for, for my one client. And I think at the, because, again, I just I looking back, I think she was justified. Like, I think that she really wanted to hammer home the fact that, you know, Ohio State Speech and Hearing Clinic has standards. And um, I don't know, she doesn't matter. It it is what it is. I mean, she, she failed me for that client. And I I did not take it well, I was already stressed out with everything. And I was pretty disappointed. And anyway, um, another lady who was a supervisor at that clinic um, came up to me and said, hey, I've got a friend who actually is a therapist at the uh, Shepherd Center down in Atlanta. 
and they might be able to get you to uh, a spot to do therapy at their outpatient center. Um, they're, it's like a, they're one of the top in the nation. Uh, would you be interested? And I was like, I mean, yeah, sure, why not? And at that point, I could defer a year of grad school and come back afterwards. And um, I actually had just been dating uh, my girlfriend at the time for maybe a little under a year, uh, right around a year. And she was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds cool. I'll, we can go. And it, it was a six-month program. So I actually ended up getting in. We had two weeks to find a place to live and make accommodations and, and make it all work. And everything fell into place. So we moved to Atlanta. And uh, everything went really well. And at that at, during that time, I realized I didn't want to go back and finish speech path. And uh, that's when I found rehab counseling. Uh, we moved to Florida for seven years. And, you know, things just kind of um, went from there because I, after my injury, um, another thing with spinal cord injuries is temperature regulation is out the window. Like I don't, I can't sweat anymore. Uh, once I get cold, I'm, it's really hard for me to warm up and I hate the cold now. So Ohio winters obviously are brutal. And um, when we were in Atlanta, we went down to Florida and visited family and it was January and I'm outside in a t-shirt and I'm like, why are we not living here? So that's how we ended <laughs> up in Florida. And yep. um, so, yeah, we were there, but um, yeah, in terms of, I guess, just getting from, I guess, what, remind me again, what, what was your question just, as far as how? Just what was it like for you? Like that when, you know, that time of, because obviously we all identified as being Ohio State Buckeyes and, and, and when that's taken away right. and then you're, you're, you're doing other stuff like, you know, was, what was that feeling uh, for you? You know, it sounded like you were busy and had other things going on, which is always a, a huge plus in that. So your mind's not dwelling on, on what could have been or what was, but just, yeah, I just wanted to kind of see where your thought, what your thoughts were then. And, and it sounded like you were yeah. you know, full steam ahead. So it, it, I think there was kind of a duality with it because yeah, I mean, thankfully I had plenty keeping me busy with therapy at the Shepherd Center and then the transition to Florida, like, major chapters uh, and transitions that kept my mind off of the, the transition away from Ohio State and what I had established there with the community and the support system that I had. Um, so I think, thankfully, I was so busy trying to almost prove to myself and family because they were worried about just me and my girlfriend going off to Atlanta at the time and just right. being the two of us, she was going to be my full-time caregiver. Um, I think that that really helped with that transition. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely that aspect to knowing the, the community that I had at Ohio State and the school that I loved and the team that I loved and being around that and just living in that atmosphere. I mean, it's, it's incredible, right? Yeah. Uh, there was definitely uh, almost like a, a grieving process that you almost kind of have to go through to cut that umbilical cord and be like all right you know like that chapter's over um and I think I was just so used to accepting things at that point of like hey like this is the reality I there's not an option I'm not going to go back and be you know some guy on the football team that just sticks around and whatever like right. we just need to move forward and close that chapter and move on so um but yeah I mean it, it, it's not an easy transition at times like just to miss that uh, proponent of your life and what you used to do 
Yeah, it is. Uh, I've talked about it a lot on here, but it, it really is a kind of a, a crazy experience. And, and it, you mentioned before we were talking, you know, from a military aspect, and obviously the stakes are con- way on a whole nother level I, to the point to where I sometimes I, I get uncomfortable with comparing sports to to being in the military just because it's there's one's a one's a game that we're having fun, the other one's life or death. But um anytime any time that you're having to literally completely change who you are as a person um is just you know it's it's a challenge for everybody um some of us have the tools or some of us have circumstances which allow us to either be distracted or we're on to the next thing but um you know a lot of us get end up getting trapped in that in that mindset of like oh what did i miss out on or did i did i not do this correctly and then you have all this resentment and so it's kind of a snowball thing so you know it's just interesting to hear your perspective there i mean obviously the mindset you were in at that point is always just like, what's the next fucking hill that I'm about to, to tackle here. Um, so you're yeah. doing, so you, so, so you moved down to Florida. You're So what you, when you're down there, you're working, you're working with uh, uh, spinal cord injury uh, patients just coming out of surgery. What's, what's going on over there? On uh, one thing, I guess I just, I want to, I wanted to make sure I took the time to throw this out there because it's, it's so, um, relevant to this podcast and you know what what you're trying to uh do to help other people who are trying to figure this this whole process out of uh transitioning from you know again one chapter to the next um like i uh jim trussell was our coach at ohio state you know for listeners who aren't aware and literally i think just about every one of his former players will tell you that he made it very clear that we were not just there to learn how to be better football players. Like he hammered it home that we were there to learn how to be great beyond the game of football. And um, my freshman year, I remember very clearly one team meeting, he said, uh, the day is going to come where the cheering is going to stop for everyone in this room. And you all need to figure out on that day, what you're going to do with the rest of your lives. And it really just hit me in a way that was like, like, wow. I mean, I'm 19 at the time, but yeah, I mean, this, this game is going to come to an end at some point. Um, We're all not going to go on to the NFL. And even those who do at some point are going to have to transition back to a life away from sports um, or at least not playing. And so, yeah, I mean, that that really needs to be addressed. And I, I applaud you for doing this podcast for that. So oh, anyway, I to, to kind of, I appreciate. yeah, um, to get to where we were in Florida, um, 2014, um, I actually, we were married at that point. I, Meg and I got married in 2013. And uh, in 14, we were like, you know, let's, let's do a charity. Um, there's, Coach Truss was uh, obviously, again, very big on paying it forward, uh, helping others in their time of need. Um, And so the idea of a charity came up and uh, after kind of researching things and really reflecting on on my injury and my whole process, we determined that there's a a very big gap in the amount of support provided for families after someone sustains a spinal cord injury uh, for their travel expenses. And I touched on how important it was for me to have my family by my side. Um, there's a lot of cases where families are spending thousands of dollars uh, a month or over the course of weeks to uh, 
um, stay in a hotel or to fly, uh, whatever, just so they can be close to their loved one while they're in the hospital. And um, so we decided to, um, it started with only $500 because we were just a small, you know, run from home charity. We got right. the 501c3 status and um, we help people with their airfare, gas, lodging, uh, rental car, whatever it may be, expenses that that they need covered in order to be with their loved one at, at uh, the hospital. And that's the that's the new perspective foundation. Um, for those of you, I, I was going to put that in the notes and whatnot. But man, that's that's a uh, again right on brand with who you are. But what a feeling that must be to be able to be there for people and 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 be that shepherd. Um, in a time that's that nobody could be possibly be prepared for. But if, you know, to have someone like you and, and the way that you handle yourself to to be supporting and helping out, not just monetarily, but I'm sure, you know, knowing you that that you're providing, you know, your time as well. Yeah, again, I'm I always say that uh, we're very blessed to be in a position to help and, uh, you know, to give. There are so many people who um, stepped up after my injury and offered uh, words of encouragement or whatever, like there, Adam Talaferro, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a former Penn State football player who broke his neck actually against Ohio State. And uh, he called and I'm sure, you know, my dad or somebody held the phone to my ear when I was in the ICU and just offered a few words of encouragement just to, you know, say like, you can get through this and you got this. And there's a lot of people who are going to uh, be there to support you along the way. Um, so yeah, to be one of those people who can just offer some words of encouragement and let them know that, I mean, the first year sucks after any life-changing injury or illness or loss, whatever it may be. The first year is always the hardest, but man, if you just give it enough time, like there's going to be a lot of good that can come from it. And, uh, like Romans eight twenty eight is one of my favorite Bible verses. Now we're basically says that God can uh, work all things together for good uh, for those who, who love him. And, uh, you know, this foundation and my wife and my kids and, um, you know, so many other things that are amazing blessings that have come from this injury and this really terrible thing that I've gone through. And, and basically in a lot of ways, it's, it makes it all worth it in my mind of everything that I've gone through to be where we are and to, uh, you know, help others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, like I said, I, whew, man, I love talking to you and you always, you always put me in the, in the right mindset. And it's, it's just, it's, it's such a pleasure to know you and, and to have been there with you to experience a little bit of, of this journey that you've been on. Um, I really think that, you know, the things that we've talked about today are, are going to, you know, move forward and, and, and be a bridge for, for others to, to find a, a place of, of solace and to where they can, you know, feel like that it's, you know, the world isn't closing in on them. Um, like I said, I can't thank you enough and I'll put it in the show notes and whatnot, but um, with this new perspective foundation, I want to try to generate as much, uh, you know, interest from, from my end as, as little as that may be, but um, you know, bring, you know, bring more attention to this because this is something that, you know, we think about maybe if it happens to somebody in our family or we see some, some report of it happening to somebody on the news or, or for some sort of reason, but the truth is, is, you know, life comes at you faster than we could ever imagine. And, and you never know when you're going to be in a, in a seat where you're having to deal with something like this. So um, anytime you can, uh, you know, pay it forward, like, like Tyson was, was mentioning, and it was something that, that coach Tressel um, 
always, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think of the right world. Could drilled would be the, would be the way to go about it because every single day, you know, there's one thing about Coach Tress is he was a very consistent man, and you know, during those times where we're, we're young guys and you know, obviously we got our egos and whatnot, and a lot of the stuff that he had us doing, whether it be the uh, the three whys or, or picking out a quote of the day or, or just reading through our winner's manual. It seemed a little tedious. Um, but now that I look back on it, it's like, wow, this is stuff that I do every single day. And these are main components as to how I'm able to, to, you know, keep myself in a, in a happy headspace. Um, I think as, as youth, it's, we, we take happiness for granted, right? Cause it's so easy. Like everything is fresh and new and you're having fun as we get older <laughs> Um, happiness becomes something that is not just given to us. And it is something that we actively have to work on. And, um, you know, in my opinion, the way that you do that is being consistent through doing your practices um, for you, you know, being a man of faith and, and staying close to that and, and constantly, you know, learning from the lessons that that has to teach you. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that it could be, you know, you could just, you know, find some some school of thought that that resonates in a similar way. Um, and just stay consistent with that you know, stay consistent. I think that's the, if I were to, to describe you, um, well, there'd be many words to describe you, but I think one of the main ones would be consistent. You're always this, you're always the same guy. You're always there showing up with a, with a smile, ready to work and, and, and do what's necessary to, to get the job done. So um, that lesson right there, I think can, can help a lot of people, but man, like I said, I can't, I can't thank you enough for spending the time. Is there anything um, as we close out here that you want to share um, with, with the people's? Yeah, thank you for, for asking that because I, I really did want to kind of fit this in at the end. Um, like anytime I, I I talk with others or, um, you know, get a chance to give give others encouragement, I always try to make a point of letting people know that it's a process. Um, that there are some days that it's going to be one step forward and three steps back. Like I didn't just get to this point without having bad days. Like there were so many days, especially again, that first year that I just wanted to lay in my hospital bed and feel sorry for myself. Or after I got out of the hospital and, and was home that I was depressed and cried my eyes out. Like the healing process is literally just that. It's gonna take time. There are days that it sucks, but you just have to understand that every day brings with it a new opportunity to improve yourself and even those around you. And uh, if you just give it enough time and um, accept some of the bad things that happen in life and learn to grow from them, that in time you'll see that a lot of good can come from, and you'll eventually be in a position to help others who are freshly going through whatever it is that you're going through or will go through. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just what life to me is all about is just giving others that encouragement because we're all in this together and uh we just gotta yeah keep that mindset i mean i, I don't want to say anything to dilute how, how how important a message that is so we'll end it there man but again tyson thank you so much it's so great to see you so happy for you and your family um so happy to see that you have a rich mahogany uh bookcase behind you i can i can smell it through the podcast here um i have i have bookcase jealousy of tyson he uh that's that's a goal of mine so um but man i love you thank you uh, hey hey don't, don't be modest baby you, you got that put in let's go all right my man Hey, 
Thanks again for sticking around for another episode. If you guys are looking for more information, please visit us at our website at consciousathletics.net and or Instagram at consciousathletics. As always, thanks to our sponsor, Be Cool, Be Smart, Be Alive, teaching our youth their rights and how to de-escalate. For more information, please visit BeCooler.org.